When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is One Hate Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. And uh, I'm having a surreal moment as I record the beginning of this show because as you're listening to it, this is the 100th episode of this project, Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. And it's very, uh, I feel like there, other than Michael Mann, and perhaps other than Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, there's one man's name who's been mentioned throughout almost every one of these hundred episodes. Um, that man is one of the finest cinematographers the world has ever seen. And in two years made, I think, the two most beautiful Los Angeles movies ever made. Those two films, let's start with the film in question, are Heat, and the other is LA Confidential. Ladies and gentlemen, if you can clap while you're listening to your podcast application, whichever one that is, I implore you to. I'm talking to Dante Spinotti. Dante, welcome to One Heat Minute. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And, you know, I, I always loved Australians because uh, um, very early in my career, I was in Kenya and uh, I had just started grabbing the 35 millimeter film camera, you know, my first steps. I was probably 18 years old. And I was asked to join the, listen to this, the Australian East African Safari racing team that came to Nairobi with five cars, four or five cars, and, and four or five racing teams, and a team manager, Les Powell was his name. So I did the whole race with uh, Les Powell, and uh, that was my first contact with this group of Australians. <laughs> and I thought they just were great, man, and accepting the game and fighting all the odds and uh, uh, having a good spirit and a good time. And uh, I had the same feeling when I came back to Australia to do a movie, which was uh, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, yes. the, uh, yeah, the, the Dawn Trader. Dawn Trader. Yeah, yeah. And you did, you would, Deception, that was a Hugh Jackman produced film. Was that something that was shot much in Australia? I never found out whether that was shot. No, no, that's a, that's a sad note because... Uh, uh, the director of the section was his young, young Swiss director. Ah, right. It was his first project. Uh, you know, he was a commercial director. Became very good friends. He unfortunately passed away oh. one year or two ago. Sorry, uh, sorry to mention. Yeah, heart attack. And uh, 
And uh, but it was a great project, and uh, we had a good time shooting in New York. Hugh Jackman is a very pleasant, to say the least, working companion. And uh, yeah, he was shot in New York. Well, and you, other producers. Well, the minute, usually in this show, for anyone who knows the format, you spend. Usually, I'm refreshing with a, a person who has uh, not been part of the film, <laughs> a minute of the film. But what Dante and I are going to do is uh, you guys are going to listen to the 100th minute. I thought the 100th episode, what a person to talk to. So the minute in question, uh, just to give you some preamble for those who are about to listen, is Treo letting Neil know that he's not going to make it and Neil not wanting him to sort of draw any more attention to them uh, right now because this bank heist is right there. This is the, 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 the centerpiece of the film, if you like. And so he's like, no, we're not going to do it. And then they just happen to be in Don Breeden, Dennis Haysbert's diner. And we'll hear on that in the next episode. But Dante and I are going to listen to it. You guys are going to come back and we're going to talk about it together and all things heat. Hang on. Yeah. Hey, use the landline. Call me at 103-7-206. Cops all over me, man. They're on me like a cheap suit. I can't dump them. They have to affect spotting No, no, they're doing parallels. I can try to dump them again. How are we gonna know if you did? If you didn't, you'll draw them to us. If a Ventura, pull them out of here. All right. Hey, I'm sorry, man. Last thing I want to do is let you down. Now, Dante, you just before we started recording, you talked about this film being the finest film you ever worked on. Could we? Most could, could 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 we? What 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 an experience! What a, what what kind of experience was it? And when you look back, I suppose hindsight's a beautiful thing. But when I look at your work in this movie, it's it's um, firstly it's incredible, but secondly the players that you got to work with and these incredible locations, it just seems when you go back, people almost don't believe that the cast that you guys got and the crew that you got assembled for this film, people almost don't believe that it could ever happen again. I don't think anyone could believe that it does. I think you did two movies like that, LA Confidential and Heat, you know, almost back to back. Um, uh, Such incredible movies, such incredible casts. It, It just seems like a throwback in every sense of the word. Yeah, you know, uh, first of all, it was a, an amazing immersion in, in Los Angeles. I mean, I just finished a thriller with Hilary Swank yes. in Los Angeles. Um, it's, a, it's a city that allows movie making in a splendid way because it offers anything. And it's a very cool city. You know, it's a totally modern city. It's a city that has any possible race or different people living in it. Uh, it has some beautiful parts. It has some highly dramatic parts. It has an amazing commercial area downtown, southeast, huge. Uh, anything you can think of is here. There's a there's a beach which is uh, 
200 meters wide that runs along the whole 30 million people, <laughs> area, you know, north to south. The mountains are not far. Um, it's just something I see them keep growing more and more fond of, to be, to be honest. Uh, yeah. It's a great city. Most of all, for the people that live in this city. Uh, so getting into a movie like this with Michael Mann, back then, in which I didn't really know the city that well, um, was uh, very special because, of course, Michael, who's always extremely prepared on every movie, does and knew the city very well. And it, it goes in depth of everything and makes everything be extremely real. Um, uh, knew all the aspects and the interesting sides of this city. I don't know how many locations we worked in, probably 50 or 60. I do remember one night we were shooting north in the valley, right? Yes. And we had finished the rest of the morning with Pacino, uh, sorry, with De Niro and Amy Brenneman driving to the airport. Yes. I think, and the dialogue under the, 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 the freeway passes between John Voigt and, and, and Robert De Niro. And, uh, you know, we finished, say, I don't know, 1 p.m., 1 a.m., rather, 1 a.m. north of Los Angeles in, in, in the valley. And I drove all the way during mealtime, during dinner break. Yes. All the way to uh, the south. To, and I started lighting with a crew that was waiting for me there, the underpass, during lunchtime, so yeah. that they'd be coming down and we would be ready for them, Michael and, and, and you know. Um, yeah, so we had this unbelievable city helping us out and, uh, and you know and shooting with Michael Mann he's shooting with Michael Mann and so it's a very uh, as you probably know uh, Michael studies the movie very precisely before shooting so we know that when we go to get the Danny Trejo image you know he's, he's on a public phone in the street yeah. uh, he's got his El Camino next to him and uh we knew, we decided that we were going to light him, although it was daytime, put some hard light on him. Um, I shot the whole movie at 2000 ASA, if somebody knows something about this photochemical thing, because I knew that we were going to have some amazing battles downtown. He actually saw for three weekends the famous bank robbery and the response to the police. And I knew I was going to need a lot of speed in the film, sensitivity, yeah. towards the end of the shoot, so I said, why not shoot the whole film with a high, with a, with a good level of grain and the same kind of treatment in the in the lab, so that you know it, it matches. You don't have jumps into. Uh, yeah, and uh, locations were extraordinary. Um, the, the the scene you mentioned, I, I'm very fond of it because uh, uh, you know Michael likes to intervene on production design, so we have the shiny background. Yes. And the guy who used to become the driver, whose name I don't remember right now. Yeah, Dennis Haysbert. Dennis Haysbert. Yeah, that fantastic actor, you know, has this decision and, and pushes the owner, decides to go uh, with with uh, uh, with De Niro, you know, with Bob asking him, can you join us? You got to slide in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's against the shiny background and the fumes of the bar. And, uh, you know, it, it worked. 
It's um, it's so funny that you said that Danny Trejo was hard lit in that scene because it feels like, and and I and I've never known whether it was my perception or whether it was just the 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 drama. It feels like he's under a spotlight on that phone call. He feels like he's being interrogated because Neil is so annoyed that he's not where he's supposed to be that he's like, I want to, you know, what what's happening. So it's so fantastic. Like he's hard lit. He's wearing that. Uh, light gray so everything feels very sallow he doesn't feel as vibrant as he's felt in the film because he's under pressure and there's that other uh scene i believe it's in the deleted scenes where we see why um uh, that i think you guys cut out but it was on the most recent release of the uh, beautiful uh director's definitive edition blu-ray of uh of wayne grow meeting treo and starting right. the interrogation there that you guys uh left on the cutting room floor uh yeah, I don't recall that. I've seen the movie recently. Also, I took part in the remastering of the film for a couple of days. And Michael Mann and uh, Stefan Sonnefeld, the, the, the great colorist at Company 3, they worked for a month on that movie too, you know. Because actually, an interesting side of this, you might want to know, is that the Academy did a screening. It was two years ago in September. Yes. And Michael invited me to be a part it was a, a, a dialogue with the, with the audience between Pacino, De Niro, Michael Mann, and Chris Nolan. Yes, was organizing. It's, I think it's on YouTube. Yes, it's it's, it's on the DVD. Yes. It's on the DVD release too. Yeah, it's it's a very. It's, it's very then, good. Then part of the elements of the crew, like myself, were invited to join them on stage. By the way, the academy was full of people. I've never seen a screening like that. People standing, applauding expecting the, the, the performance that was coming. Yes. Not because they were applauding the performance. <laughs> they knew it was coming. They knew it. So they would stood up and applaud even before the scene would, would be screened. Anyway, and uh, I had a provocation, and I did it deliberately because Chris Nolan was there. <laughs> yes. And I said, I said, these movies, because it was transferred to video, to, to digital, you know, 4K digital video, is now a better movie because <laughs> you can see better in the shadow, uh, because you, you can correct some scenes that you are not able to correct. You have 56 locations. Sometimes there's something you can correct. Uh, the colors are more proper. And Chris Nolan, still remember, turned to me and said, I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is great because it was shot on film. So, uh, yeah, so, so I think that... Uh, Digital to, to transfer in 4K actually made the movie better. I mean, it's, you know, besides Michael Mann's cut. You did, you were the right there for, for Michael's transition. Because I think that Heat, you would say, is his last sort of classical, and your collaboration with him is his last sort of classical, you know, film uh, you know, last sort of cl- classical shot on film film and he gets to the insider and although the insider again another exquisite exquisite film but that's where he starts to and you as well start to experiment with those late night digital video I love I mean my, one of if, it, if it's not in this film one of my favorite scenes I think that you guys have ever con- constructed together is the golf course scene in the insider with Russell Crowe um, and, right. the, and the 
claustrophobic camera work that you do to make, you know, to really get inside Jeffrey's head as he starts to realize that he's being watched. It's sort of the most, it's, it's a very sort of new Hollywood paranoia thriller in just one scene. Um, but yeah. I think that that's like a transition, right? From, uh, well, you, that, that, was, that was still shot on, that was still shot on footage, uh, for the camera film, the yes. inside of the yes. film. Um, even though Michael Mann immediately became a big fan of, uh, you know, uh, digital and HD. Um, yeah, I still remember that. You know, we have to say that um, I'm informed about basically all the shots when we scout. Yes. It's a huge preparation. You have a dialogue with testings, even light angles. But when the movie starts, I barely talk to Michael Mann. He talks with his camera operators yes. and has a very precise plan of what the shots will be. Yes. Um, which, of course, I like the way I plan to like. Um, uh, yeah, he has that, so uh, very precise planning. As, as you mentioned, being inside Russell said, that was uh, one of the visual themes of the movie, at times to become uh, with a really subjective camera, uh, you know, inside Russell said. Yes. And Michael always has a plan of... Uh, kind of a psychological plan of the movie. Yes. Run side by side the, the screenplay. And I saw one time where you outline all the happy moments of the crew, maybe, or the, you know, or the, the crew of uh, actors, obviously. Yes. Um, and then the sad moments where things go down, and then the negativity, then they come back up, and then the drama. It's all outlined in very exact psychological terms. Um, you know, so it, each one of these moments is applied a visual approach. The lenses, the camera. I knew that at some point we would have had the Steadicam in the nightclub. Al Pacino has a phone call and he tells people what to do. Yes. And I knew we were going to do a circular Steadicam around in with a 30 millimeter anamorphic lens, which uh, is kind of wide. We don't expect to have a Steadicam. <laughs> about Pacino's face, but that was it. And uh, so many things we know before we start. And uh, I think Michael is a great master of uh, framing camera angle. He's probably way at the top there amongst the very uh, big geniuses of uh, filmmaking. I mean, uh, we know how people like Kubrick, even Fellini, yes. uh, know exactly uh, their, their film language and how they want to frame and it's always uh, any Kubrick movie, even if it's not one of his greatest movie, is food for your brain because every time he puts the camera down, uh, you know that's it, man. It's just such an It's like, you know, and so is Michael. I mean, his use of long lenses, and I feel blessed that I did five movies with him because uh, um, film language for me now has that great, you know. Uh, increase of uh, having worked with Michael for five movies. Yes. Uh, you know, which is, which is a big plus. What's it like with those? We, we talk about those guys, um, probably De Niro at his very best, Val Kilmer, you know, right at the peak of his career. You've got these guys in front of you. You've got the famous, we've just passed the absolute incredible Kate Manolini's coffee shop scene. Um, what was it like being there to frame up 
you know, the two greatest actors of their generation sitting across from one another in a coffee shop. Like when you, when you were aware of that was their first meeting or other than in the car, which is a beautiful scene, actually the scene of Pacino getting out of his car, the way you frame it with a steady cam all the way up to the car. It's absolutely- oh, you gotta say, Michael, I just lit it. <laughs> you just lit that scene. Of course, Michael was framing it. Oh, right. Yeah, so... Gonna go. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what was it like? What was it like to be in that moment? You know, uh, what watching it unfold that that incredible scene. It was just feeling the pain of the fatigue. Yes. <laughs> that was mostly, and uh, I don't know. It's probably something you realize after you've done it. Um, mm. Actually, the wave of that of the importance of that movie kept kind of increasing and increasing. Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, but um, uh, when you're doing it, uh, I don't know, are you aware of uh, what you're doing in it? Uh, no, I'm happy now that I did it, and it's great. And uh, uh, it's been such a addition to my, I don't know, my professional book or, uh, <laughs> or myself as a person. Um, yeah. Both were so very different. All of, all of these three guys were so very different. Al Pacino is an instinctual animal. He comes out on set. I did three films with him. And he starts uh, playing the lines. And you wonder, uh, is he an actor at this moment or is he the real guy? Yes. The two yes. things blend so incredibly, you know. The Nero takes a lot longer to to get into his performance has to go through three or four or five takes. Um, Val Kimmer is super intense and concentrated. Uh, he was really brilliant in that movie. Uh, you yes. know, he's, uh, uh, and all the side characters, imagine the guy Wayne Yeah, you know, Kevin Gage. Of, he's unbelievable in this film. Unbelievable. And also the scene between him and the young prostitute that then he kills. Yes. It's one of my favorite, you know, and, a lot of things I could talk of. It's like nowadays with the high-end digital cameras, it's another life. Yes. But back then, you know, I did uh, when Al Pacino discovers the dead body uh, of the girl. Yes. And then as he hugs the mother, uh, I had to do, I suggested Michael that we do the wide shot with the prime lens. So, you know, shooting one four, one yeah. one four, one one one. So the background was a city with an helicopter going back and forth. And then we go into coverage and Michael likes to do the coverage always with a zoom because he uses creeper zooms going in slowly into a face. So I had this big light high up on a condor and when I did the master I would with twenty four bulbs, you know, a Dino light so called. Gel, heavily gelled in green, green and blue. And the white shot was shot with only one ball lit. Yes. And then through the covers, the whole calendar was coming down physically with all 24 lights on it. Yeah. Down two feet away from the actors to be able to change to, at the same time, you had to be ready with a couple of bright lights for the background, not to let it go completely dark. So, um, yeah, a lot of challenges because also Michael likes to shoot. With multiple cameras simultaneously, sometimes, you know, going into all possible directions. And you know, now 
you make that shot and you just recolor it or you touch it up. You know, the lighting is, you know, if you're tweaking to get the same color, you're not having to do it with, you know, uh, color tints and, you know, hundreds of lights there and all those sorts of things. You can do a lot of it in the background. Is that, is that the, is that the big transition between digital and, and, and film photography in that respect? Well, you know, uh, the main difference is this. Back in those days, you had to adjust the lights to the camera. I mean, if you're like me, they would say four, five, five, six to eight, whatever, you had to bring the light to adjust to the camera. Nowadays, <laughs> you adjust the camera to the lights. Yes. You have, I got in this last movie some amazing shots of, uh, you know, the, the Los Angeles lights at night in the background. And, uh, <clears throat> and you shoot with a much lower light level. Yes. If a good use of the practicals, it's still very tricky if you want to keep the atmosphere and like the actors, especially if you have a lady who needs to be taken care of accurately, you know. Uh, but it's a majorly different approach. Yes. Not to mention one of the other main things, which is you see exactly what you're doing. What you're looking at on set is your dailies. Yes. So that gives you a huge confidence, and uh, and uh, you can actually adjust all your lights, even when you're rehearsing with the actors. Yes. Second before you shoot, okay, that's too bright, bring it down, or raise it up, you know. Uh, so it's it's a different craft. Uh, it's probably like now transitioning from uh, gasoline-powered engines in cars to electric. <laughs> yes. It's probably like the change from uh, silent to sound movies. It's a, it's a major step. Yes. Yeah. I won't keep you too much longer. I'm incredibly grateful to be talking to you. But I just wanted to ask, there's two two major ones. You were in that incredible panel of people talking to Christopher Nolan. And you talked about those in, uh, hanging out of a helicopter to light other helicopters in shooting. Can you explain a little bit what that was like, uh, those nighttime shots, those stunning shots, which feel like they're sort of replicated a lot in, uh, uh, in a, one of Michael's later films in Collateral of that downtown district. Can you tell us what that yeah. was like to shoot with film cameras <laughs> hanging out of a helicopter? Well, I mean, the film cameras, you know, we had the, those 2000 ASAs, we had the anamorphic lenses from Panavision, which were very, very, very bright lenses you could open up the stock, you know. And uh, we had this, this scene that where he flies all the way to the Hilton Hotel. Yes. But the major yes. scene happens, you know, the helicopter landing. And, um, yeah, I was supposed to be in an helicopter <laughs> above the... Uh, picture helicopter with another helicopter with the main light, you know, with one of those, I don't remember the name, those police lights on the helicopters have a name. Yes. So I was running above that, lighting this helicopter, but being really careful not to overlight it. In fact, you can barely see my work up there, although I was probably an hour and a half in the air. <laughs> bloody, I say bloody helicopter. Um, yeah. And Michael Mann was shooting in his camera helicopter. So we were three helicopters in the air. I was lighting, and he was shooting these magic shots through downtown. He was very keen on picking up reflections in the building and things like that. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, it's uh, things were happening. Like I had a big dinner light on a very high condor 
lighting the helicopter pad when it's landing, and then you had the Hilton Hotel in the background. And I tried to dose the intensity of that big source, so it was kind of correctly luminous on the landing pad, but the hotel was way back, so it was kind of underexposed. Yes. And at that point, the camera operator had to look up at the sky with the camera, handheld, I think it was, or Steadicam. Stay, so we see the helicopter coming in the sky with these spinning rotors. We take him down to the landing with the hotel in the background, which turned out to be a very successful big shot. Um, you make mistakes also in the movies, you know, but, um, but uh, sometimes it really works. It really works. And uh, then we have the scene with him driving with uh, Amy Brenneman in the Camaro. Beautiful, uh, incredible scene. And one that a lot of people uh, actually have had several people really want to talk about the that tunnel scene. Uh, so not only driving along the highway, but then the that luminescent tunnel and then them coming yeah. through. Incredible. You know talk about an emo. It's so fascinating. You're talking about the emotional resonance of a of of each of the scenes or each of the sequences. That one, I would imagine, Michael would have had many notes around uh, the emotional state of Neil at the beginning of I that got, tunnel and to the end. Yeah, I gotta tell you how that tunnel happened. We were circling around shooting. I remember that we had two cameras, two cars, radiant set up and lit, and two. You know, and two insert cars ready to pull. Yes. So that we would finish, uh, you know, finish the uh, the side with uh, De Niro. The actors would go in the other car, and we were shooting Emmy Brenneman's side, and he was ready to go and pull off. We had very limited time before dawn came. But in that tunnel scene, what happened is that we started shooting, and they were lit in the car, and all of a sudden, we entered the tunnel. And it's obviously lit the way it is. It's bright because that's how towns are. And at the end of the passage, and when we cut the Michael cut, the shot turned to me kind of angrily saying, Tante, you didn't correct the stop for that tunnel, did you? I said, <laughs> Michael, of course not. <laughs> so that just happened, but it plays brilliantly. It was something magic. That is a magical scene. What is yeah. your favorite? Do you have a favorite scene? in the film? Um, well, I tell you, maybe it's not my favorite, but that's something that uh, I had a part of. Uh, you might remember the scene between De Niro and Amy Brenneman. Yes. When, uh, I think it's her house, or his house, I don't remember. It's probably his house, I'm not sure. He has this house up in the hills, right? And they're looking down into the sea of lights. It's her house, yeah, her house up in the hills. And there's also a line in the dialogue that says these ocean lights are like diamond, whatever. And uh, so I suggested to Michael, you know, it was the early days of computer. I suggested to Michael, listen, why don't I shoot a test for you? The couple standings uh, against the green screen, and I go out on the set, and I shoot backgrounds of the yeah. city at night. So I shot the backgrounds at six frames per second, say, of the city lights. And then I shot the clouds at three frames per second. And I composited that in, in, that in four or five shots at H, in HD uh, to show to Michael. You know? And that's how we shot the scene. So uh, there's only one shot from behind that Chris Nolan spotted immediately. Yes. Wasn't that 
his film. I said, yes, the only one. <laughs> at one four, one one, you know, really deep, so we see all the lights. All the other coverage was shot with uh, on set, yes. on location, and we prepared and light the shot and the faces, and then we put a green screen behind the actors. So that I could shoot the scene at five and six to have both actors in focus or almost in focus, you know, four or five. And then uh, the background was added, uh, was added uh, with a green screen uh, via computer. So they have this onirical scene in which they talk uh, with the sky behind the Los Angeles sky at night, which is sometimes very beautiful because the clouds are underlit by this amount of sodium lights, you know. And, um, yeah, that's how we shot the dialogue. On location, so the actors could respond to this, you know, to this environment. It was a very simple operation. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm not going to keep Mr. Dante Spinotti for too much longer. Dante, to say, that it's a, to say that it's a pleasure to have you on the show is a drastic understatement. Uh, this has been a, a mad project uh and uh uh, to have you as one of the top people that i would have loved to talk to on the show and to have you actually have you here for the 100th episode is just unbelievable so i want to say the deepest uh, thank you uh to you for your time and uh and i I know that uh the mad fans of this show are going to go back and listen to every single uh thing that you've said about frame rates about lighting uh, about every every moment of every scene and go back and unpack other scenes and rewatch them again and i just wanted to say thank you so much for being a part of one heat minute it's been an absolute pleasure no thank you very much i have to confess to you that it's probably one of the most enjoyable and uh, brilliant interviews <laughs> so congrats to you Oh, thank you. Look, ladies and gentlemen, that is Dante Spinotti. He is uh, the genius uh, behind uh, the cinematography of Heat. Um, He needs no further introduction. I've been Blake Howard. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll catch you on another episode of One Heat Minute just around the corner.